Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Wednesday. First with yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Tuesday. Uh, we've got a recidivist drink driver who's done it again. Uh, are we being too fussy about how qualified our preschool teachers are? Uh, the women-only Uber situation causes outrage for some reason. And uh, is Christmas too expensive? Stupid question. But before any of that, uh, the it turns out that the free first year at university didn't actually make any difference to how many people went to university. Has it worked or not in your view? Uh, no, it hasn't worked if the objective was to increase participation by students. I think that's quite clear. It has worked if all the government wanted to do was to lower the cost to students by spending taxpayers' money. 79% of the students taking this up are from European backgrounds. Can you see that, I mean, this is encouraging those who, who wouldn't have gone on to study anyway? They'd have been there, wouldn't they? Well, I think the problem is, and we knew this really right from the start, that students who are, are disadvantaged in terms of their community backgrounds have a whole lot of impediments when they try to go to university. And I can really only comment on the university sector. Yeah. And one year of free fees is not going to make a difference. We didn't ever expect that it would. And so the impact on accessibility as far as the university is concerned is, is essentially not there. So just clarify, why do you think the numbers are down on the expectation then? I don't know. I suspect that's uh, miscalculation in the number of students who would have been expected to take the offer up because presumably all the students who are eligible for free fees have uh, taken that. The other issue, I think, is that the numbers have been falling in the polytech sector because the economy is very strong and it may well be that there are fewer students in the polytech sector taking up the free fields deal than uh, the government had expected. Now, as a uh, parent of people who seem to be wanting to go to university, I think it's a great policy, obviously. But they were going to go anyway, I think, for some reason. Uh, look, uh, what is it with these people who just continue to drive drunk? What do you do with them? Because the judge said it was by the slimmest of margins he did not get sent to prison. So... Among his convictions, just to give you the full, con- uh, well, not the full, as full a picture as we can in the, in the time allotted, he's got 12 for drink driving, 10 for driving while disqualified, three for dangerous driving, one for careless driving, as well as others for burglary, theft, drugs and violence. Uh, the guy's a dropkick. I'm sorry, I don't generally like to condemn people as a, on, a, on the whole. I generally rather look at the behaviour and go, well, they've made some poor choices. He didn't get sent to prison. He got sentenced to six home, six months home detention, 180 hours community work, and disqualified from holding or obtaining a license for two years. Wouldn't you say that this is a case of preventive detention, normally reserved for people who just won't stop raping and killing people? But this guy has killed four people. He clearly, maybe he's not an evil person, but he is a danger to society. What do you do with people who just won't learn? This will not be the last time this guy's been behind bars. Because you know what? When you've killed one person, dangerous driving, you'd think you might learn. You might get behind the wheel. And every time you did, you might just give some thought to the big mistake you made in your life. But no, 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 no. He went on to drive dangerously again and kill more people and what the judges said oh, oh 
close. Almost, almost sent you to prison. Almost. It's a tricky business, the law, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, it's one of those situations where uh, the law comes up against common sense and it doesn't always make sense, I think. Uh, glad I'm nowhere near that case. And I'm glad I'm nowhere near preschoolers anymore, although some people seem to want to be, but they're not allowed because they're not qualified enough. Do you really need 100% fully qualified teachers for uh, preschoolers? Do you? Seriously? Second question, how many good women, I'm sorry, how many good people would that lock out? How many good people would that lock out? Well, according to my, um, my conversationalist earlier this morning, uh, the woman that, um, that looks after um, his little girl is absolutely outstanding. She's not qualified. She's absolutely outstanding. Wouldn't want any changes whatsoever in that regard. Next question. What advantage would it be, and what is 100% qualified anyway when it comes to preschool? I'm sure there are qualifications, but what advantage do they have over people with experience in raising children, people with experience in common sense, and I hope there's still some out there who are doing this sort of thing, in common sense and understand little kids and their behaviour and what they need. Is that not really what it's all about? Or have we got to a point in, in, uh, in this country where, I don't know, next stage is fully qualified parents? Well, why would, why would you laugh at that? Fully qualified parents. Well, how can you possibly raise a child? And a lot of people would be, uh, be agreeing with that, actually, because they know some of the people who produce kids who are unsuitable for doing so, or at least for raising them. I guess the qualification for producing them is obvious. Qualification for raising them, less so. Yeah, I guess um, your major issue here is that if something goes wrong at the preschool because there's somebody who's not quite qualified, then everybody would be complaining that they're not qualified. Um, as always, my advice is to not have children and then the problem goes away. Um, <laughs> now... Uh, I, I, don't, I didn't see this story, but apparently uh, there, there's a women-only Uber service or something. Anyway, Kate Hawksby is outraged at the outrage. Though it's best in life to not sink so low as to respond to this kind of madness, I feel too infuriated not to. Where do you get off criticising a business model, which, by the way, is optional? Women aren't forced to take women-only taxis. Where do you get off saying that's sexist? Drive her is similar to Uber, if you don't know. Users hail a car using a cell phone app. The difference is its drivers and riders must be women. A male came up with this. An actual man who's not affronted by, afraid of, or intimidated by women. A man who was hearing too often from female friends about awful experiences in Ubers and taxis late at night, so he decided to do something about it. All this app does is provide an optional service, a choice, an alternative. Men are welcome to ride as a plus one. What's wrong with that? The great irony here is that those who shout inclusivity the loudest are often the ones participating in pushing exclusion. The Pride Parade banning cops springs to mind as an obvious example. This driving service isn't running men out of town. It's simply providing an option for women, many of whom travel alone at night and would like to feel safe. As a mother, 
I'd rather have my daughter travel in this any day of the week, but that's a choice I can now make. Not all women have to. And while we're at it, ask yourself, whose fault is it that women don't feel safe riding alone in taxis late at night in the first place? And no, this is not presuming all men are assaulters. It's simply giving women the opportunity of not taking that risk. So take your silly little petition and naff off. Oh, good marks, especially at the end there for using the phrase naff off, which I haven't heard for a while. I'm a big, big fan of people bringing back old insults. Uh, we're going to finish up with uh, the Salvation Army report that asked people if they thought that Christmas was too expensive. What were they going to say? Interesting, you just touched on Christmas. Um, here's what I do with my kids. My two girls have never bought me anything because I instruct them not to buy me anything. I don't want you to go to the shop and buy me something I probably don't need. What I want you to do, and they do it just automatically now, and I've done it since they were little, is just sit down and write Dad a card and tell me um, why it's so good that Dad's still Dad. And I've still got, well, my oldest is 23 now. She still does it, um, and 13. So I've got a stack of them that I can go back to at any time and read those and see their writings developed over the years and different pictures and, and different thoughts of what they were thinking at, at that time of their life. So to me, Christmas has become, you know, I'm probably the typical Christmas Grinch. It's become over-commercialised, and I just thank God for my sky because I don't watch any ads anymore. But um, <laughs> it's really, it's, I, I think the point's been made that we need to get Christmas back to what it was traditionally for. That's right. It was traditionally for having babies in stables um, and giving people frankincense and myrrh. And what was the other one? Oh, I can't remember. I agree, ZB. Uh, that has been News Talk ZB for Wednesday. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for more. Maybe I will have remembered it by then. I probably won't even remember that I was trying to remember, remember something. I can't even talk properly. See you then.